everyone and welcome to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. I'm your host, Nia Mason, and Women's History Month continues in the Booster Club with my friend, Brittany Cameron, who I knew in college as the fearless leader of her collegiate soccer team, and who I now know as top assistant coach for Wake Forest Women's Soccer. Brittany has reached all heights of success within her soccer career, all the way up to her preliminary selection to the U.S. Women's National Team, and is now using that knowledge and influence to change the game of soccer for the better by widening the demographic of young girls that believe they can excel in the sport. Today, Brittany talks to us about her career as a top soccer coach being bigger than her and the responsibility of being a model of representation for the young girls coming up. We learn how, in Brittany's world, goalkeeping isn't just a soccer term, but a metric to hold herself accountable. And through accomplishing the goals she sets out for herself, knowing when she can push towards larger. Lastly, Britt talks to us about the three major role models in her life and the positive impact these women have had that goes far beyond the soccer field. So currently at Wake Forest, but prior you were at the much smaller, much more budget conscious San Francisco State. How different has that leap been for you? And what are some of the adjustments that you've had to make? Budget has been definitely the biggest adjustment. So coming here and understanding, we don't have unlimited resources, but coming from San Francisco State, it feels to be unlimited resources. But with a lot of resources comes a lot of responsibility. For example, we have Catapult, which measures the athlete's whole metric system, how fast they run, how many miles they run, their player load, how many times they dive to the right. If they have a really hard day, you know, back in the old days, you just went hard all the time, (laughs) you know, especially like in preseasons, you remember you started preseason, the very first thing you do is run. And through this system, it's basically saying that's not good for the body because over time, if you put so much load on a body, the body's eventually going to break down. It's definitely been really fun to learn. And I've had to change my thinking. Hard isn't always better. Prior to making this leap to Wake Forest, you were the assistant coach that transitioned Mm -hmm. to that same institution's head coach. And I would imagine that there weren't, maybe aren't many women your age at the head coaching level in Division II women's soccer. What compelled you to go for that bump from assistant to head coach? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I never thought I wanted to be a head coach. That was never like my ultimate dream. I'm more of an in the moment. And that's not always a good thing. And I've tried to change that mentality to have goals, long-term goals. I have a lot of short-term and that is fine, but the long-term is just as important. And so at that point I was in the short-term, like, I love what I'm doing. I'm in the assistant role. And then the lady at the time went to UC Davis and I was just kind of content. I was maybe a little too content. Mm-hmm. And she, ah, Britt, you got to do it. You got to go try it. It was probably more fear that held me back. Like, I don't know how to do this, but fear is just the unknown. And I just decided I woke up one day and I was like, okay, what's the worst she's going to do? Say no, I am still where I am today. So I'm really grateful for, for Stephanie. That's my old AD. She took a chance on me and I learned tremendously and I definitely hit some bumps. It's just a different transition being an assistant coach to a head coach. And I was maybe too nice, which people don't usually say, even people just like my friends, why are you letting them do that? Guys think I was still trying to be in that assistant coach friend role. 
And I don't think I had that separation. So, you know, after the season, I decided to be a little different, maybe not be as accessible or when the team is there, like maybe not hang out, just be by myself. No, this is what we're doing rather than asking them what they liked. I think my Wake Forest girls would beg to differ about too nice. Now that I've been through that role, I love them and I love what they have to offer, but they don't come to my office to hang out. That's not my role. I brought up your college nickname because it was from your teammates and it was right. You were not too nice. You were Coach Cam. <laughs> Coach Cam. Yeah. Christine Mock. We were playing 5v5 one day and I tell people what to do. I don't like losing. I'm just not about that at all. Nothing about me wants to lose in soccer. So I'm quite bossy. And my team hated it in the beginning, but when we were 12 in the country, no one had any issues. But no, everyone loved that nickname that stuck with me. She calls me that to this day. Yeah. Um, so everyone jokes about it. But yeah, I was Coach Cam. I was bossy. But at the end of the day, what made us so successful in college, we were a small college, probably one of the smallest in the top 12 or top 25, to be honest, mm-hmm. is that we had so many different leaders with different skill sets. I was more of the lead by communication, telling people what to do. I'm setting the standard. Mm-hmm. Then we had lead by example and lead between both example. You know, we had all these different variants of leadership. And I think that is the beauty of what makes a team so successful. I think we wouldn't be surprising anyone listening to this episode by us saying that soccer is this primarily white sport, yet... Mm-hmm. Here you are as the only black female to be a top assistant coach at a power five school. Mm. How has your experience as a black woman been as you've navigated the ranks as D1 soccer player at a primarily white institution to professional soccer player and now a D1 coach? You know, microaggressions is the new word of every diversion and inclusion committee from here to California at the moment. But I think it's so important to understand what microaggressions are and what they look like, how they sound. And I didn't realize the microaggressions when I was younger. I just put it off or, you know, I would get angry when people would say that I'm too loud or stop yelling. I'm not yelling. I think I've said that so many times in my life. I'm not yelling. This is who I am. This is how I talk. I'm animated. My voice is raspy since I was came out of my mother. This is naturally me. And I naturally dance. I don't know how not to listen to music. I look back and, you know, now myself now is like, this is me. I am different than everyone else. I'm black and white and I come from a single mother. That is probably not only is black being an anomaly in soccer, but coming from a single mother and dad is on drugs is like 0.002%. And I take value in that and I heed that. I want to give other people a different perspective of what a soccer player should look like, what a coach should look like, what a division one coach should look like. And then what a coach in the ACC looks like and being a woman in the ACC, even more importantly, is a tough role. There's only two head women's coaches in the ACC, Miami and Louisville. That weight as a black woman navigating this predominantly white, predominantly male space, that can't be easy. Does it ever shake your confidence with what you're doing? Sometimes. Absolutely. But I have to realize it's a greater good. I also realize that I connect with some of these kids that look like me and like I have a personal responsibility to be who I am to them. I want to be my authentic self to everyone so that the kid from New York City from the Upper West Side or the kid 
from Georgia can still relate to me and still see something. I never had a black woman coach. I didn't know that was physically humanly possible, (laughs) Um, let alone a coach that I actually had played at the highest level and playing in the pros for 10 years and, you know, being in the national pool, like there's a certain expectation that comes with that. So not only what I look like, but how my journey in the soccer career is so important to give kids a different perspective. Oh, she talks like this, but did this. Usually those two don't go together. And I want them to be now synonymous together. The players that you're trying to be this model of representation for, how important is it that they're seeing you exude this level of confidence? Oh, so important. They know what I do. I have no issue of being confident in myself. But for me, confidence is about results. When I was labeled Coach Cam, it probably would have been a negative connotation, but this is going to sound a bit cocky, but we're number 12 in the country. And there's a reason. I am goalkeeper of the conference, and there's a reason for that. So I only exude this because of the results. When I started Wake Forest, I didn't have anything to say. As soon as my goalkeeper two weeks later is now ACC Player of the Week, I've been here for two weeks. Well, yeah, I'm going to walk a little different. And that's just the start. I want people to recognize that is the start of something. For me, it's exude confidence, but finish with results. You can't be confident and lose it and taking L's all the time. You got Yeah, hold on now. I'm not here for L's. And that's what I think I feel like I exude. Like, listen, not only have I played, but I will go show you. I'm playing tomorrow at practice. I can't run as fast as you, but I promise you I'm still going to be a good soccer player. You know, and I think that it's important for these girls to see, like, dang, coach can still kick a ball hard. Coach can still play 11 v 11. For me, that's important because I look at leaders, for example. So if you look a certain way and you're telling me what to do and I don't believe in your time, why would I listen to you? That's how I felt when I was 18. So that's my mentality with an 18-year-old looking at me. If they see me working out, they're going to work out. Call me after this practice where you're running with these girls. I'm going to need a full 45-minute (laughs) warm-up. I've been dying to ask you about this story of you negotiating your professional soccer contract because you threw out a number higher than what you initially wanted. What made you throw out that number in the first place? And then when it was accepted so easily, what were all the thoughts that were going through your head? My boss, he called me and he's like, all right, I want to offer you the job. Here's what I'm thinking. And I'm like, okay, you know, I try to play cool. You know, you get all this advice from everyone around you. And I was actually with my friend in LA at the time. She's helping me and she's like, what do you think is the high side? So I throw and I call him back the next morning. He's like, okay. I go, huh? (laughs) That's fine. Let's do it. So in my head, I get off the phone and I'm like, to be honest, I'm cussing at myself in the mirror. Like, what the, you know, blah, blah, blah initially like pretty bummed about myself but to me I like it's a lesson shoot for the stars ask for way over way way over than what you think you're worth with my experience there's probably one and that's just a fact yeah it's not me being cocky it is what it is I just think I made a mistake I devalued myself and it's not happening again wait till the contract no I'm just kidding (laughs) Um, yeah no and it shot myself and that's a mistake, but you live and you learn and everything has been a lesson and starting with that very thing and moving forward, it's been a lesson. So even with your warranted level of confidence, you also have this really awesome way that you stay grounded and it's in always reminding yourself of your goals, but also sharing them with your players. What do you think is the impact of doing this with yourself 
and with them. The impact hold me accountable to say it out loud, even to an 18 year old, they're going to ask me one day randomly when we're sitting on the bus coach, did you do that? It holds me accountable for the most part, especially like for my soccer career. I'm an open book. I have no problem. Yes, kids. I want to coach on the national team. I want to coach youth national teams. Mm -hmm. I have no problem telling my kid that they are all very aware of this. So I want to hold myself accountable for my actions and what I want to do moving forward just as much as I want my kids to do it. It's a disconnect, you know, just like the working out. How can I tell a kid to work out if I don't do it? I'm not saying that I have to be an elite level athlete at this age, but I buy in through actions. So if I'm doing the right thing, is my kid doing the same thing? And I want them to have goals and I want them to know that I have goals. They can look at me. I'm the, I'm talking about it, but I'm also doing it. How do you know when it's time to adjust the goalpost on what it is you want to accomplish? How do you know when it's time to dream for bigger? I keep checking boxes off or I get stagnant. I don't ever want to be stagnant. I like challenging myself with the best kids, the best environment, the best resources. And as soon as I feel like I'm coasting, it's time to change, whether it's the thought that I need to change or the action that I need to change. It takes a long time. And I think I'll put myself in this bucket It takes a long time to realize that you've been complacent Mm -hmm. and you knowing that if I am complacent, I start to feel a certain way. I start to feel stagnant. And that's why my goals always have to be moving. I think that's huge. We all do it. I mean, it's the human nature, but I think for me, like playing sports made me self-aware and able to take criticism. And I think that's why sport is so beautiful for any sport. Just athletes in general are able to take criticism and self-reflect as well. Yeah. And I think self-reflection is such a big one. And then playing at the highest level, you got to be like, I played bad today or you played well today or you did this, but you didn't do this right. It's all from yourself. Your coaches can tell you and anyone can tell you, but really evaluating yourself and how you're doing as a person is so important. And I try to do it daily. Okay. Women's History Month is upon us in the Booster Club. I'm so happy you're joining us for this month because the work you've done and will continue to do on and off the field will undoubtedly advance women's soccer for the better, but also you have this core group of women that have influenced you in ways that really go beyond soccer. I mean, when you were talking about it, none of it had, like, she helped me kick better. She helped me. None of that was, like, the main reasons why you noted these women. Talk to me about these women who have influenced you through soccer and the impact that their roles have had in your life. Yeah, soccer to me is something that I can do by myself. That was never an issue. But for me, it was growing up as a human, as a woman, as a female, as a black female. All those things mattered to me. And like I said, I came from a single mom. So I kind of had to like swim upriver a little bit. And that was the beauty of it. But I was a little rough around the edges. And so the people that helped me, helped me swim upstream and navigate how to move in different spaces. Shannon Box is one of them. She played on the national team for quite some time. We played together in L.A. She had similar stories. Me, she's black and white. And she kind of just taught me how to navigate my space and be me. And she showed me so much love. It was a big sister role about, you know, just how to handle myself within a locker room. Maybe I don't need to be the most boisterous one or how to dress. Like, I don't need to come in baggy sweats. You know, maybe I come in a little tighter, brush my hair, things like that (laughs) that were so important and she was so generous. I was dead broke. And I remember she invited me to her birthday and I told her, no, she didn't really understand who turns down someone on the national team for a birthday dinner. 
but she didn't know the backstory is I was broke. I didn't have any money to go out to eat in LA. We all know how much LA costs. Right. So I just told her no. And she was so confused and she was upset. I finally broke down because I don't really tell people my situation. Anyways, I went to dinner and she paid for me and never forgot that story. On her birthday, she paid for me to go to dinner. I've never forgotten that story. So the generosity, she taught me to be generous and not look for it back. And then we had Karina LeBlanc. She was actually on my LA team as well, a black woman. It's the first time I saw black women in the role of just strong, educated females. I had never really felt that or seen that or had someone to aspire to that looked like me before, to be honest. I didn't know a lot of black women growing up. Not only that, but I didn't know any that were, in my mind, educated, mature. So these two, to me, really stood out. Karina is just like me and crazier than me. And she taught me to be my authentic self and bring that to every space. She is now the president of CONCACAF, which is the governing body of North American soccer, essentially. So she's, yeah, she's a big deal. And she does broadcasting for the World Cup on Fox. So she's a huge, big wig in the soccer world now. But she always taught me to be my authentic self and be crazy and don't ever change. And then my last one is Aya Miyama. She was on my LA team again. It was three of them were on my team and she taught me the value of hard work. I loved playing soccer. That was never the issue. I would always stay after. She taught me to in and out. It was a process and never deviate from the process. Every single day she was out there. She's the best player in the world at one point, in my opinion. And she was out there every single morning after practice. And then she actually taught me cleanliness, which is weird. It sounds weird, but in Japanese, they're so clean and they put their shoes next to each other. It's very orderly. It's not like Americans and we just throw our shoes. They literally physically place them with their hands next to each other. It taught me respect, to respect things, to pick the balls up. She's the most important player on our team and she's picking up the balls. That little mentality switch of working hard and being selfless. I just love her so much. I still talk to all of them. She lives in Japan now. And when I was playing there, I got to see her and actually sent her a package when that whole hurricane was going on in Japan. And I think that really made an impact in her life because I wanted, she made such an impact in mine. You have three really great women that pushed you in the right direction. I really look up to the ladies that were older than me. Christy Rampone is another one. I lived with her. You know, I was deviating a little rough around the edges and I want to shout her out because I just talked to her but she literally told me I need to move in with her and I did (laughs) I lived with her for a while and got back on the straight and narrow and she's from Jersey so she's super cut and dry but it worked and she's been a mentor for me I call her (laughs) mom so (laughs) she's like the young auntie I guess you could say And she was like move in with me because you're going to be great but the way you're moving is not towards greatness Absolutely. And she's been my biggest supporter. Even when I got to the national team pool, I probably owe her 80, 80% of the credit because she really fought for me and that she just was like, yeah, you need to get your stuff moved to Jersey because New York City is not it for you. (laughs) (laughs) 2020 was a year of reckoning for us all. It was a tough year. And I know just from our previous conversations, the way that 2020 was tough has really shifted your thinking in terms of being clear on what matters to you most and what your non-negotiables are. How does Wake Forest support you and what it is that you stand for? And what ways do they help you feel supported as a Black woman? 
when I was talking to Tony, my boss's name, Tony Delius, I had mentioned 2020 was obviously a tough year. And so I was pretty clear on what my non-negotiable is. I am a black woman. So mm-hmm. you are going to hear about black people. I'm not here to sugarcoat that for you. I care about black people. I care about black women. This is what I want to change. I basically like let it all fly. And he was super supportive to me. Like, no, 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 you have to bring. That's why I want you to join our team because I need that. Mm -hmm. I need you and whatever you is, I need that, which is really powerful. I really felt like he supported who I was as a black woman. And I bring a different experience. You know, our blackness is so unique. I think that's the beauty in, in being a black woman. We all look different. We act different. We come from many walks of life. And we all have different experiences. And, and I am black and white. And I'm proud of that. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm black woman. That's mm-hmm. what I resonate with. That's who I am. I try to share my experiences. But a lot of people that work here have some different experiences because it's the South. You know, just kind of navigating that. But he's text me after the first day. And, you know, don't ever change. Please bring yourself. If you ever want to talk up, you are free reign to talk up. So I couldn't have gotten luckier with a boss that supports me. He cherishes who I am and he sees who I am. I think that's the most important. He sees that I'm a black woman, first yeah. and foremost. Before we get into our booster up segment, I wanted to end on this question because I've been lucky enough to see this bond from afar between you and your grandpa and every throwback photo or caption dedicated to him really does make me smile from ear to ear. And I want you to talk to me about why he is forever and always going to be the lock screen on your phone. Yes. Grandpa is always going to be the lock screen. You know, I grew up as a single mom. And so my grandpa was the first man I loved. We just had a bond that was just, just different. I talked to him like my dad, essentially. Like we talked all three times a week for the most part. And he was just an amazing human. He taught me so much about life and, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. And as the older he got, the more in depth our conversations became, which is unbelievable. He was a white man and so curious about like my experiences, especially when, you know, a lot of stuff was going on with Charlottesville. That's when we really started to like dive in. Brittany, why do they need a black caucus? And I think he was asking me to understand, not to judge. And I think that was so important to me that I was being heard. It was like, oh, I can see that. And I understand that. And I see why we needed a caucus or why do we need an LGBTQ caucus? Because those people are underrepresented. So I think it was just so beautiful that he got to ask me these questions and we learned from each other, even though he was 97 and forever my man, I have him tatted on me a couple of times. So <laughs> which he hated. So I have his handwriting tattooed on me, but no, he's forever my man. I learned so many lessons from him. And my family knew that our bond was just different. I love everything you've been saying. I feel so inspired just talking to you. So I'm sad we're nearing the end. We can stay on longer if you want. (laughs) (laughs) We have officially moved into our booster up segment of the episode. I have two questions for you that every booster that joins us gets hit with. So let's do it. Your career defining moment so far. What has that been? How has it? And how do you think it will continue to impact your life? My career defining moment. I think the mental switch for me was probably career defining okay, Brittany, you're going to do this. This is going to be your career. You're going to be good at it. You're going to have a responsibility. You're going to have a responsibility to yourself, to young women that look like you, 
you have a responsibility to be you, to be your authentic self, and to help people that look like you. I learned that when I moved home from Japan. And I think I noticed all the black young women when I was coaching at a club coming up to me. And we're just so hugging and black women, we just like embrace and the way we joke. It's just a little different. And I realized that they were hugging me a lot. And I was like, wait, easy. You can't do that. But it was like, this is our culture, yeah. you know, and they've never seen anyone they can come to and talk about hair products or that I listen to J. Cole just like they do. You know, and I think it was just, wow, we have something attainable. We can be her. We play soccer. She played soccer. She dresses like us. She acts like us, but she played at the highest level. And I think that was probably like, okay, I have a responsibility to them, not to me. I have a responsibility to take this as high as I can take this because they need to see. So I think that was my career defining moment. Like, okay, I need to do this for young women out there, not yeah. just me. Lastly, what is it that young BCAM needed to hear before embarking on this path that she's on now? Two things she needed to hear. Sometimes <laughs> you need to be quiet. That's one. <laughs> and then the second is you're going to make mistakes. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. Mistakes happen. You're never going to be perfect. You're always going to do something that someone doesn't like or act a certain way, but you got to keep going, keep your feet moving. And you might be able to take this thing kind of far. Keep pushing. Yeah. Legs are in the mud. You got to keep going, man. Because you yeah. can take this thing far. You can. Thank you for listening to Boost Her. Conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. To keep up with what Brittany Cameron is up to, she will be featured throughout our Instagram. So feel free to give us a follow at boost her podcast all one word comments and shares also very welcome across our social media posts we love hearing from you women's history month is in full swing here in the booster club and next week is an episode you won't want to miss so hit subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform to make sure you're always locked into what's up next thank you again for listening to boost her where we will always pull up a seat at the table for you as a reminder that while individually we may be great, collectively we are magic. <laughs>